This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, welcome back. This is Adam Gilad, host of The Fearless Lover, here on Personal Life Media. This is the place where every week we seek to discover how different spiritual traditions, writers, and teachers have figured out how best to express love on a day-to-day, even moment-by-moment basis. Because really, at the heart of things, who doesn't really want to do that? Again, I think love is the merger of what other people can understand to be contradictions. So in the same way that I had talked about it's the merger of selflessness and selfishness, there is a way in which being open to changing in the face of relationship, you know, you're, you're bringing someone into your life and suddenly they become data in your future decision. You know, I think if you look at the stories of the matriarchs and patriarchs, you see people whose relationships have ebbs and flows and contours. You look at the story of great lovers in Jewish tradition, Rebbe Akiva and his wife, others. You see the same thing, which is that love is a dynamism. It's not some static entity. It's not like a statue that once you put it up, you're then done and you just look at it. It's a flowing river. And we need to be constantly feeding into it to be able to take out from it. So I think that it is dynamic, and that's a reflection of the fact that we are dynamic. Our guest today is Rabbi Bradley Artson, who is Vice President and Dean of the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies, at the American Jewish University here in Los Angeles, lecturer in philosophy, and just a very well-known leader in American Jewish circles and beyond, a very popular, thoughtful uh, rabbi and leader. So, Rabbi Artson, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be with you. It's nice to have you here. I'm honored. Um, Now, Rabbi, the reason I wanted you to share your thoughts are a few. Uh, One, I used to read one of your books, The Bedside Torah, Uh um, to my kids at night, and I've also used it uh, for my own teaching. And I've always been struck by your dual passion for love uh, within the family, for a spouse, for God, and also for social compassion. Uh-huh. Uh, now, our general discussion in this show is, what do you do with fear when it blocks love? And secondly, how do you nourish, discipline, or guide love so that it finds its fullest expression in our hearts and, most importantly, in our actions? So if this works for you, I'd first like to talk about um, love and then get to fear later. Is that all right with you? Sounds good. Excellent. So um, I want to start with something you wrote. You wrote an article called, If You Wish to Believe, Love. And you tell the story about your dad getting you a puppy as a child and letting you know that loving your new puppy wouldn't take anything away from loving your old dog. And what you wrote is that you got there... Um, sort of your first inkling that, as you said, love is never displaced by additional love. It's enhanced because all our different loves are expressions of the one embracing love. Yeah. What, what do you have to say about that? How does that tie into our, um, divine love, intimate love? 
ultimately, I think the mystics are right that we're all connected to a oneness that's beyond our senses to perceive. And that oneness of which we are an expression, of which we are a part, um, taps us into each other on a very deep level. And love is the way we do that. Love is the emotion that goes along with you and I connecting or you and I and your listeners or I and my wife or my children. And I think part of what holds us back is the sense that it's a finite amount, that if we pour out too much of it, we'll run out. So what I learned from my father at that early age is that love is not a limited substance, that it's infinite in your heart and that you can tap into it endlessly um, if you're willing to enter that place of just bountiful love. That's a really interesting, when you said love is infinite, you know, you kind of hear that as a sort of theoretical kind of thing. You know, sure, love is infinite, God's love is infinite, and a lot of that often feels very abstract, but what you're saying is that some, it, love is something you can generate from inside continually, infinitely. Is that, is that what you're saying? It's never abstract. There is no such thing as love as an abstraction. There's only particular manifestations of love. Love erupts in the concrete. So you can't love people in theory if you don't love individual people. And for me, what life is all about is about concretizing that love in ever new expressions. So you keep on re-falling in love with your spouse, and you keep re-falling in love with your children, and you meet new people who become dear friends, and you fall in love with yourself at different stages of your life and the world that we live in. I think it's a constant process of augmenting love in which the memories of our love's past feed into our present loves and make it possible to love more boldly. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. You've hit something I've written about and talk about incessantly, which is that you don't get married, you re- really remarry every day. Is that something that comes out of Jewish tradition, or is that something that you've sort of developed from Jewish tradition? You know, I think if you look at the stories of the matriarchs and patriarchs, you see people whose relationships have ebbs and flows and contours. You look at the story of great lovers in Jewish tradition, Rebbe Akiva and his wife, others. You, you see the same thing, which is that love is a dynamism. It's not some static entity. It's not like a statue that once you put it up, you're then done and you just look at it. It's a flowing river. And we need to be constantly feeding into it to be able to take out from it. So I think that it is dynamic, and that's a reflection of the fact that we are dynamic. That's good. Um, Let's actually take something else you just said and work outwards. You, You mentioned really we have to fall in, or we can, fall in love with ourselves every day. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, I think in the same way that we meet other people and process them and get to know them, there's a way in which we do that with ourselves. We can be surprised by our own reactions. We can be listening in as we're talking. You know, I, as a writer, I joke that I don't know what I'm thinking until I write it down, but that's a form of self-discovery. And we all do that kind of self-discovery, and sometimes I'm pleased with what I discover, and sometimes I'm appalled by what I discover. (laughs) But love is about loyalty and about moving toward the light. And I think that when we love ourselves in a pathological way, that comes out as ego, and that comes out as arrogance, and that comes out, and that's all an expression of weakness. 
But when we love ourselves in a healthy way, then we can know our weaknesses, know our shortcomings, and urge ourselves on towards a better version of ourselves. That's what I meant by being able to love yourself. Wow. Well, you said a lot just there. I think you said enough for an entire book. Um, a couple of things that come to mind. One, you said, um, I've noticed also in your writing you have this wonderful sense of surprise, about the delight of being surprised about what we have within ourselves, and, uh, and also obviously with our partners, our children, obviously a great way of, um, of just you constantly falling in love, and also of God. I mean, just being surprised and delighted by the world, which so many people um, lose track of. Yeah. Um, there's, there's obviously a notion uh, in Kabbalistic thought, and I get this uh, through Rabbi David Cooper's book, uh, God is a Verb, which I think is a great book, where he talks about God isn't some guy that created something a long time ago and set the clock going, but that every moment of creation that we have and every moment of creativity that we have is actually God expressing God's own creativity through us. Sure. I, I think that lots of people... Um starting with uh, Alfred North Whitehead and others, have recognized that thinking of God through the metaphor of a dynamic process is truer to the biblical tradition, truer to the rabbinic understanding than that kind of stilted Greek philosophical God who never changes, never moves, never does. Um, and, And it's very fetching because I think it reflects who we are as well. Um, You know, I think that that dynamism is a reflection of the world and of the divine and of us. And so embracing it, embracing a kind of cosmic messiness and looking for love not to be static but to also be interactive and dynamic, that allows for a level of fulfillment that you can't find otherwise. I love that. So what you're saying is, if I get you right, that love as a process is practical but not programmatic. Um, you have to tell me what that means. Okay, what I'm getting is that it's something, well, there's this element of surprise and uh, creativity that you're talking about. In other words, many people, they want to figure out, how can I love my wife? How can I love my girlfriend? How can I love my kids? How can I love my friends? How can I love myself better every day? How do I do that? And so people look for an answer. They look for a book. They look for a program. They look for rules. Now, what you're saying is that I love your expression, cosmic messiness. So there's almost a kind of mm, self-acceptance or um, uh, self-forgiveness, I'm hearing, uh, as as part of the process of really learning how to love. Exactly. There's a a process, and I also think that they're all interconnected. So there's no single place that everyone has to start. Our love for ourselves and our love for God and our ability to love others, they're all dynamically interconnected. And as we heal one part, the other parts shift along to fit the new pieces. So it really is about just being bold enough to start to heal start somewhere. And to start connecting. And the other thing I think that's amazing about love is love is a fusion of selflessness and selfishness. And you can't have love without both of those. Um, wow. That's a big thought right there. So let's talk about selfishness first, because I think people are, even though they don't enact selflessness perhaps as much, they get that idea that love is selflessness. So how is love selfishness? Well, you have to be able to find 
objects of love with whom you can interact. So they have to be people or places or things who make your soul sing and make you glow and make you shine. You know, there has to be, I can't wait to get home and be with my wife tonight because she awakens a part of me that is otherwise dormant. So it's not true that my love is purely outward-seeking. There's also immense gratification that's built into it, and that has to be there. Um, gratification. On that thought, we're going to take a short break. Rabbi, we'll be back in one second. We're going to listen to uh, some of the people who make this show possible. So uh, this is Adam Gilad. You're listening to The Fearless Lover, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Listen to Just for Women, Dating, Relationships, and Sex, a weekly Internet audio program from personallifemedia.com. Fresh inspiration and expanded relationship options for today's woman. Welcome back to The Fearless Lover, the spiritual foundations of present, boundless, and enduring love. This is Adam Gilad, your host, and our guest this week is uh, author and Rabbi Bradley Artson of the American Jewish University. And Rabbi, when we left off, we began to touch on marriage, and I definitely want to talk a bit about intimate relationships and marriage. You wrote um, something fascinating about marriage, and it comes back to Again, the sense of surprise, which I, I find is a theme in, in your writings. Yeah. You wrote that completion, wholeness, and peace are the joyous fruits of such a marriage, of a, of a good marriage, of a marriage that does, is doing its job, providing the emotional room to explore one's identity and to grow as a couple. So there are two ideas here, two concepts. One is freedom to explore oneself, which I'm sure a lot of men particularly love to hear. Yeah. And the other is completion. So how do those two relate to each other in, uh, in the tradition? Well, again, I think love is the merger of what other people can understand to be contradictions. So in the mm. same way that I had talked about it's the merger of selflessness and selfishness, there is a way in which being open to changing in the face of relationship, you know, you're, you're bringing someone into your life and suddenly they become data in your future decisions. I make choices now based on what my wife loves or hates or wants or dislikes, and those now shape my choices, which then in turn become the precedent for future choices. So I grow differently because she's in my life, and that's true with my children. It's true with my friends. It's true with my love for institutions, my students, my pets. All of them constrain future choice-making and open up otherwise impossible choices. Both of those are true at the same time. It, it's about marrying contradictions into a higher unity. At what point, I'm, I'm sure you, um, you serve a lot of couples who are looking for assistance. Um, at what point do you stop? You said uh, earlier that love is um, both loyalty and moving toward the light. At which point does it become somewhere you shouldn't move further into a love relationship or loyalty to someone who's not, quote-unquote, making your soul sing. Yeah. I don't think that it's possible outside the relationship to make a fixed rule, because for any rule I would make, you could think of couples who break the rule successfully. But for me, what I try to mirror for people who I'm counseling is 
is your partner someone who is challenging you to grow into a better version of yourself? Right? And if it's them imposing their agenda on you, but it's not your agenda, or they're getting you to shut down key aspects of who you are or need to be, that's when, for me, the warning lights go on. Right? And again, everyone's got to make that subjective call all the time because we do have to accommodate our partner's choices. It's not always about our best interest. But if it's consistently having to shut down your better self, then I don't think that's what love is about. Good. Okay. You, you wrote that um, just knowing that it's possible to trust a spouse who is, uh, who is helping us become our better selves, just knowing that it's possible to love and trust one person really strengthens our ability to love and trust God, the universe, others. Yes. I think that's true. I think that because we know all the world through the faculty of love. Right? Love is dynamic. Love is interactive. It's how we let the world in. So no surprise, it's how we let in lovers who are human, and it's how we let in the lover who is divine. Yes. Um, okay, which brings us to fear, because I love this statement. Sometimes you say something and it just sets off so many bells in my head. Uh-huh. You, set off lo- you said love is the way we let the world in. And I've never heard that formulation, and it's, it's very beautiful. Um, and so immediately I started thinking, well, what, what blocks that? And the first thing that comes to mind uh, is fear. Sure. Is, that, uh, is that how you see it, or do you see other things at work? No, I think it's absolutely fear, and fear, I think, comes in a couple different manifestations. We're afraid that we're unworthy, so we hide ourselves from the world and from each other because we're worried that, you know, someone will discover who I really am, and then that will, that will hurt me. I think we're afraid of what we will discover in each other and the world. And so we approach with our dukes up and in a guarded way. And it becomes self-fulfilling. You know, if we're excessively guarded about ourselves and we're excessively guarded about each other, then the fear produces that which we're most afraid of. And I think that happens a lot too. And then the final thing is I think that people are just scared by nature um, to merge. I think it's frightening to know that you will, once you enter into this relationship, you know, a person who has a baby, you won't be the same person once you've had that baby as you were before having the baby. I remember the moment my twins were born, this tidal wave of love hitting me, and I felt like I was on the beach getting knocked over um, by these little creatures I had never met before, and my life has never been the same, and I am not the same. So I yes. think it's terrifying to have to face the reality that we aren't in the driver's seats of our own identity. I mean, I, I remember finding new fears, like for flying. I never really cared about flying, but as soon as I had a baby, suddenly when I got on the airplane, I was trembling. Sure. The consequences are much greater all of a sudden. So, Rabbi, it's interesting. You talk about uh, self-worth and how people are afraid that they'll be discovered that they're not self-worthy, and this kind of brings us back to early in our discussion, we were talking about self-forgiveness. What kind of general guidelines do you give um, when you sense that it's people's sense of fear of being discovered as not being worthy? Um, how do you help people along? What kind of practical advice would you give? 
Well, I have two kind of philosophical observations and then some practical. The, the philosophical observation is almost everyone I know, me included, feels mm-hmm. guilty about things we shouldn't feel guilty about and doesn't feel guilty about the things we should. <laughs> okay. So um, for me, what what is clear is that guilt is often a cesspool that traps us in previous mistakes and also um, an excuse to prevent us from having the energy to prevent future ones. And I urge people to let it go. Not let it go in the kind of, in the shallow sense of, you know, I'm perfect as I am and I don't need to change, but in the sense that um, I'm strong enough and great enough that I can learn from people's criticisms and I can do a better job in the future. I'm not trapped by my past. And what I try to tell people is that that's the fundamental teaching of Judaism. We are not trapped by our past. We are free to choose a different path. And to, to have as the basic stories of our tradition that God created of a, a universe without needing to, without having to, that God created a universe as a way of manifesting love that's unearned. And then God follows up on that by becoming a liberator. So God creates us out of love and sets us free out of love. And that that should set our life agenda. Right? So being able to then say, I can choose to not replicate the mistakes that I've made in the past or the mistakes that have been handed to me, I can do differently. That, to me, is the essential empowerment that religion in general and Judaism in particular offer. It's funny. I don't think a lot of people, I'm, I'm speaking for, I imagine, are many listeners who aren't familiar with Jewish tradition, they don't think of Judaism as a path of liberation. Um, certainly, when you, when you said that, it starts with Abraham, who is sent... God says, get up and go on a journey to a place. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Right. Right? <laughs> and so he's like, all right, I'm ready to start anew. I'm going to head out anew. And then, obviously, uh, the liberation from Egypt. But I think a lot of people, when they think about Jewish tradition, they think just the opposite, that it's a, it's a religion of rules and not a, a religion of, or a tradition of liberation. Sure, but from the outside, it looks like rules. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas from the inside, it looks like love. Mm. can't have love without rules, right? Because all rules are is the expression of the needs you have of your beloved. And if you don't express your needs to your beloved, it's not really love. So you look at any intimate relationship, and there'll be a whole host of expectations, some verbalized, some not, that to an outsider look arbitrary. Of course they're arbitrary. But you can't have intimate love without extensive expectations. Interesting. Um, one of the what you're saying actually makes me think of a lot of how people look at marriage from the outside, and they look at a lot of marriages, and they're not really as loving as one would would hope they are. Um, that may be true, but I think that's in part because it's very hard to have the energy to sustain a relationship while you're working, raising kids, living in society. It's, it's exhausting. Um, and I also think most people, when they reach the level of their relationship where they're going to have to put in serious work to get to a higher level, mm-hmm. give, 
So we have confused love with the first blush of pitter-pattering heart. And the minute that first stage subsides, I think we've created a culture of abandonment where we just kind of mutually walk away instead of staying in there and working through to the next layer of love, which is much deeper. I'd love for you to say something. I'd love for you to tie this all together and say something about how that is a kind of liberation. Well, imagine a world in which you don't have to hide who you are. Imagine a world in which you can be known truly and still be accepted. That's the world that only comes when you reach the stage of a marriage where you shut the back door, where you're not saying, okay, I'll live with this person, but if I need to, I can get out. So long as you say that, even if you got the wedding ring on, you're not really married. The marriage starts when you say, no matter what, this is it. I'm here for the duration. But then you're with someone who you can't hide from because they know you too well. They know your ruses. They know your weaknesses. They know your idiosyncrasies. And to be able to then, within that self-awareness and mutual awareness, create a safe place, that's what freedom is. And ultimately, that's what God beckons us with as well, is to be truly known and yet still loved. Fully accepted, fully known, and truly loved wholeheartedly at the same time. Yeah. That's what, that's, if, if that's not liberation, then I don't know what liberation is. It sounds like a good working definition uh, to me. Let, let me ask you one final question, because I think uh, Jewish tradition has, a, has an interesting perspective on this. Um, part of this series, The Fearless Lover, is um, learning practical ways to bring out love so that we can express love more fully. And the other part is learning how to sort of dissipate fear so it doesn't hold us back from love. But in Jewish tradition, there's two concepts of um, sort of how to relate to God, really. One is uh, Ahavat Hashem, which is the love of God. And the other is uh, Yilat Shemayim. Uh, uh, um. Yeah. And that's the fear of God, in a sense. So rather than talking only about dissipating fear, how do, how do you see using our natural fears as a way of enhancing love rather than something just to dissipate, something as, like as a tool? I'm very glad you asked that question because I think that yira is a lost art. Right? The, the tradition teaches that there are two kinds of yira. There's the lower fear and there's the higher fear. The lower fear is the fear of consequences. So I'm going to do God's commandments because I'm scared of getting punished. I'm going to buy my wife a birthday present because I don't want her to be glaring at me for a month. That is an unworthy kind of fear and crippling. It's a manifestation of sickness. It's It's not a positive virtue. And when we talk about Yirat Hashem, fear of God, we do not mean that. It's not about fear of what the consequences are. The higher Yira is the Yira of wonder the yira of awe. It's of being aware of God's incommensurate greatness and the miracle of being able to participate in that greatness. Right? So the greatest example of that are the midwives, Shifra and Pua in the book of Exodus, who stand up against Pharaoh because of their yira. Right? And what's interesting is it's very clearly dichotomized. Their fear of Pharaoh is merely the fear of consequences. 
but it's displaced by their higher fear, which is their wonder at the God of Israel as liberator. So when we talk about fear, I don't mean that lower crippling kind of, gee, I'm doing this because of a quid pro quo. I'm talking about wonder and awe and marvel, and that that displaces the lower fear. And what is that fear? Is that a fear? I'm, I'm a little, little, I just want to clarify this. Is that a fear of not participating in the awe? I'm trying to relate fear and awe here exactly, because I know in Hebrew they're the same word. They are the same word, and, and you know, we use fear to mean both, and Hebrew uses yirah to mean both. Right? So again, I'm trying to, di- dis- to distinguish it that the higher yirah is marvel and wonder and awe. You know, Immanuel Kant talks about looking at the starry skies, right? It's what happens when you look out at night and you see all those array of stars and you're just dumbstruck by the vastness and the miracle of the universe, right? That's what I'm talking about as Yira, right? So when you think about the power that it takes to create this living, pulsing cosmos, and that is capable of, allow, of, of creating a world in which 15 billion years pass and consciousness erupts like a flower at the tip of a branch. What an amazing, remarkable thing and staggering that we are the beneficiaries of that consciousness. That's what I mean by Yura. So there's a, there's a great humbling, it sounds like. So there's a positive humbling. Of course. Um, in what you're talking about. And I'm wondering, we can conclude with this, uh, and really bring it all together, because it strikes me in, in my own personal life um, that when you really are humbled, or you allow yourself to be humbled by the beauty and the consciousness and the ability to love, of, say, your partner, that creates a, a very deep love. Right, and the problem in our culture is the only kind of humbling we know and talk about is being a doormat. Hmm. Right, so we think the alternatives are assertion or doormat. Mm-hmm. And what Judaism holds out, what spiritual attention holds out, is a different path in which humility and greatness come together, in which selflessness and selfishness come together. There's a higher unity of which they are both an expression. That sounds right, and it seems to me that uh, in any kind of enduring, that's one of our t- subtitles of the show, in really creating enduring love, there is um, the need to really humble yourself to really clear the path, sort of clear the, the cobwebs that get in the way of really appreciating the whole human being that you're with. Absolutely. Because we tend, obviously, to focus so much on the drawbacks and the little things. I see that so much. Right. I think that's exactly right. And then we do that with ourselves as well, and it's equally toxic. And it's important, I think, to, to go right back to that 15 billion years. And, and obviously, uh, religious people would see connecting uh, your spouse or yourself to God and sort of humbling yourself before yourself as a flower of consciousness. I love that expression, too. Um, to finally humility, self-forgiveness, and just deep appreciation. And that kind of brings you back to center. Right. It brings you back to the ability to love more clearly. Absolutely. Beautiful. Rabbi, I want to thank you so much. I know how busy you are, and I want to thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Um, If people want to read more of uh, what you write and know more about you, how would they find you? The easiest way to do that is to go to my website, www.bradartson.com, A-R-T-S-O-N. Okay. Thank you so much, Rabbi. For um, 
For other fascinating programs exploring spirit, intimacy, depth of living, please visit www.personallifemedia.com. And to learn more about loving fearlessly and how to apply that in attracting and creating love day by day, please go to thefearlesslover.com and write me there or at fearless at personallifemedia.com. Once again, Rabbi Artson, thank you so much. My pleasure. And to everyone out there, I'll see you next week. And remember, just love. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.